Welcome to Footnotes of History, the podcast that artfully blends tradition with technology. With you as always are myself, Tim Philpott, and a man whose calm and focus rivals that of an ancient samurai, Daniel Nesbitt. Thank you, Tim. I'll do my best to live up to that epitaph that you've That's just, tarred me with. Uh, it's, it's more, you know, this, this is just my interpretation of all our previous episodes. I seem to, seem to be the one who gets excited. bouncing around. Yeah, and you're the one who's... Sort of trying to steady the ship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As it all falls as apart. We, as we take on water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rapidly well, sinking to the bottom. Yeah, well, hopefully not. To the... <laughs> it's a bit dark. Okay. Um, do you want to. beneath the waterline. Yeah, so. indeed. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, should, uh, should we start <laughs> after, the that, after yeah. that inauspicious start? I think we've got quite a good episode lined up for yeah, today. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, it's the final part of our imperialism in Asia se- uh, yeah, series. Series, yeah. Isn't it? Um, so it's going on the Boshin War, which mm. is a civil war in Japan. Mm. Uh, and this will and the creation of the Japanese yeah. empire. Yeah, exactly. Basically. Sort of the creation of yeah Japan as modern. Japan. Yeah, and modern Japan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so we're looking mainly at sort of mid to late eighteen sixties in this yeah. bit. We've done an episode on this previously uh, about the Perry Expedition, which is where America forcibly opened Japan up to the West. Yeah. So I think if you haven't listened to that, I think advise go back and listen to that because it yeah. fills a lot of the background, introduces you to what sort of how Japan worked at the yeah. time, and also. What you know, what happened in yeah. when the West came to them? Footnoteshistory.com slash eleven is yes. the opening of Japan episode, yeah. and uh, this one's going to be footnoteshistory.com slash seventeen. Um, I think that, you know, funnily enough, actually, our um, Japan is rare, very rarely taught in classrooms. Mm. Uh, I feel I feel the history of Japan is very rarely taught in yeah. at least English classrooms. You might get a little bit about. Uh, World War Two, but that's about it. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and how like you know psychotic everyone was, but um, but but the, 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 like I mean, I feel like our own knowledge has increased massively during recording of these Japanese episodes. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, for ex- for example, I mean the, the whole concept of of you know just sort of almost few semi feudal Japan, mm. it just seems completely bizarre. Like when you when you think about it in the modern context, especially in the nineteenth century, it's almost yeah. like yeah, you know, we need to look at the it's almost as much as an anachronism as the Russian. Russians still having surfs, basically. Mm. It's yeah, sort of oh, like, like the lion time forgot. Yeah, it, indeed. Yeah, yeah, and um, and and this and, and the rapid acceleration of Japan from um, <laughs> from fe- sort of feudal um, a feudal system into a into into you know into the by the end industrialized exactly family. fully fully <laughs> fully armed and operational. Well, like just nation, yeah. So I mean, like. By nineteen, the early nineteen hundreds, they were like humiliating Russia in the Russo-Japanese War. Exactly. Yeah. From this, like, from you know, that's about sixty years or so. Yeah. Uh, to become a fully mechanized war, like yeah. superpower, like. And, 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 and as as you were saying beforehand as well, the the focus was very much on the military actually mm. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, you know, a little bit more than perhaps some other nations might yeah. be. Yeah. But. Um, I think taking advice from Bismarck on that front, I think. Yeah, we'll come on to that in a bit later. Mm. But should we do, should we just quickly yeah. fill in a little bit of background before we launch into the yeah. what caused the war? So, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to have a quickly kick off with that? So when when you say background, you mean sort of other stuff that's happening, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. So um, well, it's, it's it's important that all all through this period, the, the there's been a um, after the Crimean War, there's been a disruption among the European powers. This is, I mean, just purely from a European perspective. Obviously, we've had the um, the Opium Wars and the the opening of Japan much earlier than this, mm. but this is this is quite a significant part of this. There's been disruption among the European the alliances of the European powers during the Crimean War, so all of the so the, the what what friendships did exist no longer 
really apply. Yeah. And we find this quite significantly in Japan at this time, where the yeah. Fra- French and the British are backing different. Yeah, it's all on this thing of prestige. We've got Napoleon yeah. III looking to build to compete with Britain yeah. and make France into you know, the empire it should be exactly, kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Britain's obviously trying to defend itself from yeah. you know, on one hand from France rising up and then we spoke about a little before we started recording Russia in Asia and during the Great Game. Yeah. So it's all these, you know, they're all yeah. fighting for dominance over the world. Yeah. Both not so much militarily, but also through sponsoring allies yeah. and trying to back the right horse. Exactly. And, and as you, as we as we mentioned before, in this particular situation, Britain sort of almost hedges for both sides. Yeah. Uh, on the on the uh, on the off chance that they will get some kind of bargaining chip at the end, mm-hmm. um, and then you know, have some kind of um, let's say friendship with whoever ends up being in charge. Mm. So. Um, so yeah, yeah so sorry. in terms of so you've got that sort of bit of the picture, and obviously it comes to a head in Japan with America first first opening Japan up to trade through things like the convention the convention of Kanagawa, mm. which um, gave America like a, a toehold onto the Japanese yeah. uh, country, and then it followed up with another what is deemed an unequal treaty, the mm. Harris Treaty, mm. and then all the other Western nations piled in with yeah. their own yeah. unequal treaties, which basically meant that Japan had to trade with them, accept their goods, um, allow people to commit crimes, yeah, allow Christianity, yeah, and commit, commit crimes. Crime, like Westerners could commit yeah, crimes, but yeah. not be tried in Japanese courts. Yeah, yeah. And all these things kind of like, it was very much a humbling of Japan, um, and they referred to them as the unequal treaties. And yeah. they were a, ba- a very big sort of like poke in the eye for the regime yeah. that was in charge, which yeah. if you've listened to the previous episode, was the Tokugawa shogunate. Yes. Um, which I think in 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 the in the sort of um, in the in the post opening of Japan during these treaties, the it's interesting how much the shogun it's almost like this the shogunate and the 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 capital in Edo it just becomes this sort of haven for mm. or this almost sort of like metro um cosmopolitan um haven for sort of like you know well, foreign studies and western studies um and this kind of thing all yeah. kinds of different cultures going on there which just didn't emanate mm. to the rest of japan at all yeah and i think it's a very important thing for you know this perception of the shogunate being weak yeah. um, is very important because they their sort of regime had traded on the fact that they were they were yeah. providing strongly Absolutely. strong and stable le- stable Indeed. leadership. Well, I mean, the, the, um, they, they, I mean, you know, the, I mean, th- this is what I mean about us learning as we go along. But mm. in sixteen oh three, when the Tokugawa shogunate was established yeah. as a dynasty, the Tokugawa dynasty. Before this, it was basically sort of this constant, mm. almost like permanent state of like chaos and war. Yeah. war just like rival warlords. Yeah, exactly. Like fighting for yeah. some sort of control. Uh, to, to, to control a shogunate on, you know, sub, you know, purportedly on behalf of the emperor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so their, their main claim to fame was 200 years ago, they were the ones who restored order. Yeah. And now uh, it's looking a bit weak. Exactly. And, if, and sort of in this sort of the kind of growing vacuum, you've got obviously the emperor and the imperial court who has been a figurehead. Yeah, but like he's only just there nominally to yeah. kind of give the shogunate some sort of legitimacy. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But at the you know, at this point where the shogunate are looking weak, his advisors and, and himself, the emperor Brokomi, I believe it mm. was called, then start to begin to try and assert their will a bit more. Yeah. So I think I think it's almost like the yeah the the daimyo the the you know the, the lords or the you know whatever you want to call them the yeah. other the feudal lords, feudal lords. so should we say um, are looking for some other. Mm. Source of authority because this is looking a bit bit wimpy at the moment. Yeah, I think I think also one of the interesting uh, points about during the whole period of the Tokugawa shogunate's strength, the emperor generally spent his time shut up in the palace mm. in Kyoto and almost didn't see the light of day. 
but now it's he's out and about and making speeches yeah. and, and I think, promotions. I think what he's doing also, you mentioned about how the show was keen on started to become keen on Western goods yeah, and yeah. you know in certain places it was very strong. Yeah. But in the rest of Japan actually there was still this skepticism. Yeah. And the Imperial Court really began to trade on their skepticism, mm-hmm. this dislike. Yeah. So they started, you know, in many ways talking more about how Japan should re um, you know um, withdraw back into itself again. Mm-hmm. They should keep the foreigners out. Yeah. Um, and you know, this sort of anti-foreign sentiment side growing and building in Japan yeah. a bit you know, throughout the areas. And there was a famous case of a British merchant called Charles Lennox, Richard, Charles Lennox Richardson, yeah. who was uh, who was killed by um, some uh, local assassin. Assassin. It was, it was, assassin. He went oh, yeah. There's a couple of different things. So there's there's a clan called the Satsuma clan who become quite yeah. um, integral to the story. Yeah. But um, they. Their leader was going down a road with his bodyguards, mm. and Richardson and his group were coming down the others were coming down the road yeah. the other way. Mm. And then, in his Richardson's friend's side of the story, is Richardson came a bit too close to to the mm. to the leader, and his bodyguards killed him. Um, in the <laughs> Japanese side of things, he he kind of rode. He was um, too, he was very high handed and rode yeah, deliberately yeah. in their way and deliberately wound them up. I, I think, uh, but the upshot is he yeah. was killed, um, and this kind of shows the fact that. There was this growing sort of tension. Western tension yeah. and sentiment. Uh, you know what's interesting about this is that I think I was going to say the word respect. Obviously, yeah, respect, the, yeah. the guy didn't obviously respect. That, that was the key thing. The, yeah. and, and I think this is one of the key things is that the traditionally the samurai are the warriors and they're the lords of the or the daimyo mm. as well are the lords of Japan. Mm. They're the ones in charge. But under this uh, uneasy peace, merchants and people who are not of the class that are supposed to be ruling are getting. Yeah, you know, obviously through. Free, you know, free through free yeah. trade are actually getting much wealthier than them and more powerful than them. And as yeah, or as this incident sort of indicates, not showing enough respect yeah, basically. Exactly. And I think this is where the feeling yeah. comes from. Yeah. So Richardson was killed in uh, late 1862, and then in March 1863, you see the emperor kind of like go almost public, like public yeah. with his new his new sort of uh, new face. Yeah, say go nuclear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of like he he. He he and his like uh, he and his um, supporters issue a, uh, a decree which yeah. is uh, well the order to expel barbarians yeah. which set a deadline of two months for all Westerners to leave the country. Two months. Two months. Yeah, they wanted to get out within two months. That's bad. Yeah, it was it was very much a sort of it wasn't you know, the shogunate never endorsed it. And it wasn't a binding thing, but it shows that the emperor on the one hand is feels strong enough to actually make a political statement yeah. on his own. And the shogun on the other hand are weak because they're not, although they're not endorsing it, yeah. they, they well, can't they, stop it coming out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and I think I think they almost they almost sort of uh, by tradition just sort of ignored it. it yeah, almost like they just thought, uh, you know what? Yeah, it was a, it was a, ignore this like a lunatic. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a fish ignore, but again, it had this impact of yeah. spreading the discontent. Exactly, and, so, and, and also it, there's this there's a growing sense. It's a bit like you know in in the Middle Ages where you have the two popes. Yeah, no one knows who is in charge properly. Well, I think there were four of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's mental. They were like the, the French hand one, and there's yeah. one in Rome. <laughs> the anti-pope. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah, so so and, and obviously, in in some ways, the the the, the shogunate is supposed to be working on behalf of the emperor mm. so it's even more confusing yeah uh, when they don't listen to them exactly they don't listen, yeah. listen to it and they're so doing something that's directly contradictory yeah. to them and then, um, but did, is, was, there, was there there was like a I think there was a um, <clears throat> did they, they sent a, um, I think they sent a delegation to visit Kyoto I mean maybe you're going to go on to this but they sent a delegation to visit Kyoto and sort of <laughs> almost talk the emperor, the emperor down at this point I think and um, I think that they, they stayed there for a couple of years as well like yeah they took a um yeah, I think it was Emoch. He stayed there for for the Shogun, rather stayed there for um, a couple of years, like trying to just trying to smooth things over. But yeah, sorry. 
No, it's, and that's just going to like to rounding off this bit is the um, it kind of very quickly you know this you know the, the regions were very mm. much shown to be anti-Western and they drew sort of um, sort of confidence from this order from the emperor. So yeah. you've got the bit, bits of pieces where Western ships were shelled uh, yeah. from by Japanese uh, troops. Yeah, and so you've got this this thing of you know actually shogunate are looking a bit weak. Yeah. Um, in foreign policy. Yeah. And now this internally. Um, they are kind of losing you know, control. Losing control. So the yeah. old sort of clan system, the old yeah. other families, are now looking at them and thinking, actually, they might be, you know, we might actually have a chance to get rid of them now. Yeah. And so maybe we should go on to talk a little about those clans. the rebellion, the clans to begin with, and then, yeah. then what happens in the lead up to the war, the rebellions. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's it's quite quite niche, quite niche, mm-hmm. and people can sort of read into it if they want to. But there's two main. So if you, if you look down, if you look geographically on the map of Japan, uh, the um, the at the very end, there is an island, which are the south southern t- southern area of which is the Satsuma uh, domain, and then the very south south tip of the mainland island uh, is uh, the Choshu domain. And the Choshu and the Satsuma are important because the Choshu are uh, traditionally <laughs> they were they were should we say they were the, the sort of um, uh, um, held a grudge mm. against <clears throat> the Tokugawa. Um, for some betrayal that happened in sixty, you know, back when the shogunate took took charge, um, and they were exiled from their from their family domain and all this kind of stuff. It's like a really like almost mafia-esque kind of thing. Do you want to mention that um, tradition? Yeah, yeah, and, and they and they, so they're, so they're really strongly anti Tokugawa, and then every New Year's Eve they'd. <laughs> The the elders of the of the family would sort of ask the the head of the family, or oh, what well, is it time to overthrow the shogunate yet? So, and then they, and the uh, and the head of the family sort of traditionally said, no, they're still too strong. But I think I think this is obviously they almost almost throughout the entire period were looking for this moment. Yeah, they're the first in they're the first, you know when it comes to rebelling, they're the first they're in the ranks. Line, yeah. And then and then there's the second uh, second sort of well, rebel uh, faction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, the second rebel faction, which is the the, the Satsuma, uh, which is the again, this is the island, the southern area of the island, of Japan, and um, they're much more of a, they're much more, they're much more open than the rest of Japan. They're a long way away from Edo, so they can't they're not they were not affected as much during the period where you know the Tokugawa were clamping down on on trade and foreigners and all this kind of stuff. Um, so they were actually, they were actually, um, and throughout this period, they were also in contact with British merchants as well. So there was almost arming before this happened. So they were technologically advanced, although, as we will see, slightly ambiguous as to which political, you know, whether they were pro-shogun or pro-emperor. Um, so yeah, bear those in mind. They're the, they're they're going to come into prominence soon. Yeah. So we've got this, you know, this picture you've quite you've you've painted of. Rival clans, or yeah. rival clans and families, all the way around Japan, yeah. different power bases, and up until this point, the Tokugawa managed to hold them in check, basically because they mm. they held the emperor <clears> and they yeah. they drew their legitimacy from that and yeah. the fact that they were the strongest out yeah. of everyone. But now they're looking weak, mm. and so if we move forward from the order to expel bar- barbarians which was in eighteen sixty three, by August eighteen sixty four, mm. the first kind of rebellion starts, and that's known as the. Hamaguri Gate, Hamaguri Gate Rebellion, mm-hmm. um, and this was a member of the, this was a group of the Chosu, who you yeah. mentioned Chosu yeah. clan. They attacked um, part of the Imperial Palace in yeah. Kyoto to try and seize the emperor, yeah. and basically take him away from the Tokugawa and yeah. use him as their figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they were stopped by other other members of the family, including the, Sats, uh, the Satsuma, other yeah. families. They stopped them. Yeah. There, was, there was various fighting within the palace. The palace caught fire at one point. <laughs> um, the, Cho- yeah. Yeah, the Chosu were driven out, yeah. and then the Tokugawa in their sort of 
um, role as you know, you know the strong arm of yeah. the state yeah. um, went down to the south and basically launched a reprisal expedition yeah. against them. Yeah. It ended. It didn't. There was no fighting, like no pitched battle yeah. at the end of it. But the uh, Choju agreed to hand over their leaders yeah. um, for execution. Wow. Um, but yeah, so yeah, uh, but the, I think the Satsuma actually were sort of integral to the. Um, I think I think his name is uh, Saigo Saigo Takamori uh, was. Mm-hmm. Um, he sort of uh, engineered this situation that there wouldn't be any battles and yeah. that the Choshu army would sort of almost remain intact. I'm not really sure whether this was additional. I don't know if it was just planned, but I think he's probably playing the long game. Yeah, like, exactly. Because yeah. if the if they had been destroyed, then the Tokugawa would have. Would have been stronger because they'd have removed another yeah, threat to them. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's actually throughout the period of plotting exactly how they yeah, could yeah. You know, how they could actually Take turn the situation to their advantage. Yeah. So the, the Tokugawa triumphed in that um, expedition uh, to an extent, but it didn't really solve the situation in any sort of lasting format because yeah. the Choshi still had their army, uh, they're still restless, uh, and they're still providing a a sort of a rival platform yeah. against the Tokugawa. So, yeah. And there was still, the, the edict from the emperor was still out there. Exactly, it was still, it, it was still well, bubbling it around. Been, yeah. It hadn't been rescinded. It hadn't, you know, the Tokugawa might have still been in control of Kyoto yeah. where the emperor was. But And so, yeah, yeah. And so two years later, um, in 1866, mm. the second Choshu expedition, also known as the Summer War, is yeah. launched again by the Tokugawa to try and pacify this southern region. Yeah. And um, it's here that I think the Satsuma really starts showing their hands. Yeah. If you want to talk a little bit about what they're... What their, hand their machinations are at indeed. This point. Well, uh, the the, uh, the Satsuma had been um, essentially, as we as we mentioned before, they'd been in touch with British merchants and British um, uh, um, various sort of British traders to get hold of well modern weapons essentially. Mm-hmm. So they they were they were almost a sort of almost fully armed sort of um, um, sort of uh, force at this point. They are a modernized force at this point. So they they actually came. I think they they struck back at the Tokugawa. In the Choshu region, and actually took back from from them the Choshu domain. Well, I think they, yeah, they went. Basically, yeah. that's the one. Yeah. Like they shook the the Tokugawa. Were, they went down with a quite an outdated army. Yeah. Um, so I mean, there was some modernization, but it wasn't yeah. as strong as in their 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 um, Satsuma, the, yeah. the people like the Satsuma and the yeah. Choshu. And the Satsuma, I think, actually started off still claiming to be on the side of the Tokugawa and still yeah. being in their army when yeah. it came to the fact they refused to fight for them. Yeah. And the whole thing. Although there was there was a ceasefire was agreed at the end of it, the shogunate now looked increasingly weak because yeah. not only had they not been able to resist these unequal treaties that we talked about at the start, yeah. in, they were now not able to actually pacify their own. Yeah, they're yeah. out of because they won't be able to actually control their own lands now yeah. in terms of internally in Japan. Yeah, and now there was actually a viable force that were ready to challenge them. Yeah, um, I think we should also we should also mention during this point at at this point, that the um, the change of leadership essentially uh, on both sides. The original emperor, the, the original emperor Kome died, and um, was replaced with his son, uh, who was about thirteen or something, yeah. like fifteen. Um, emperor Meiji, and um, and on the other side, the shogun died and was replaced by um, Yoshinobu Tokugawa Yoshinobu. But the I mean the, the point here is essentially that the emperor was now almost sort of a tool in the hands of the more fanatical. Uh, elements on the Choshu and Satsuma side, on the rebel side, essentially. Um, Cause, yeah, because they got to the palace. Yeah, this point, yeah. Didn't they? yeah. Um, and um, so, so Yoshinobu resigned. Sorry, what were you saying? You said, you said Yoshinobu resigned. Yeah, Yoshinobu. Yeah, basically, what resigned happened was, as shogun. Yeah, when when yeah he resigned as shogun because he was sort of saw that the you know 
the rebellion was growing mm. and they weren't able to control it. He resigned. Yeah. But at this but, point, but it was like it was like he resigned, mm. uh, but then said, you know, obviously the emperor's in charge, but I will lead the government type thing. Kind of, yeah, kind of. He, yeah, he, he, yeah uh, but he, he'd resigned his power. Uh, but this wasn't enough for the Trojan and the Tatsuma. They yeah. wanted uh, more, and they had then seized the emperor, restored him to power. Yeah. And as he said, he was a, he was just a child, a basic yeah. child and a figurehead. Hmm. And they they decided they were going to confiscate all of Yashinubi's lands, take away his power, yeah. and leave him very vulnerable. Yeah. So he then called for his own reinstatement um, <laughs> yeah. as shogun, and yeah. then assembled his his forces. Yeah. So at this point now, this is where the war proper yeah. is, is, is commencing. Yeah. So on one hand, and it all comes to a head in what's known as the battle, the battle of Toba Fushumi, yeah. um, which is on one hand you've got the shogunate forces, yeah. shogunate, the shogunate forces, and the and the well, the relatively loyal as well as daimyo yeah. who still respect the shogun. Yeah. And I think at this point they're still mainly from the northern regions yeah. of yeah. Japan, and uh, also backed up by sort of French, um, yeah. which we'll mention later, yeah, like France right. basically, yeah. Um, and so at this point, uh, on the other side, you've got the allied, well known at this point, the allied forces, right. roughly, which is. You know, uh, Choshu and Satsuma and others who yeah. have who've decided to rebel. And this battle lasts for four days. Yeah. Um, and although the Shogunate forces outnumber the Allied troops three to one, they're defeated mainly because the Allied forces have much better equipment. They're armed yeah. with rifles, yeah. howitzers, and they have a Gatling gun. Yeah. And I, I, also, a funny, uh, interesting fact about this actually: the the, the, the rifles that they had were uh, were longer ranged yeah. than the um, than the uh, the, the um, Shogun forces ones mm-hmm. um, supplied by the British. For, I'm not really sure what. Where the, where this I don't know where, how this happened, but they just seem to end up with just better better weapons basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- and yeah, and also to go along with their better weaponry, mm. they get sort of a boost on the second day of the battle when the mm. imperial fl- the imperial banner is officially raised over the Allied troops. So now mm. they become the imperial army. Yeah, and they're fighting on behalf of the emperor now. Yeah. so they have that legitimacy. Yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the so the. Um, the imperial troops, as they became won yeah. the battle, forced the shogun, shogun yeah. forces to retreat. And uh, yes, I think this is a good time to actually, as we mentioned, their their equipment, their weaponry. Talk yeah. a little bit about how the European powers started to become involved in the yeah. war and what they yeah. were doing. Absolutely. Well, um, strictly speaking, <laughs> although um, I think this was deliberate on behalf of the uh, uh, of the British, but the um, the European powers were supposed to be neutral during the war. Mm. Um, but in the build up towards the war, the um, the British um, British um, merchants and and uh, ambassadors supported the pro-imperial forces. So the so the Satsuma and the Choshu um, sold them warships and sold them weapons. Uh, I think it was like prominently Henry uh, Harry Smith Parks, mm-hmm. who was mentioned in the Open Wars. Uh, as yeah, the, the British, British ambassador, kind of like he's a yeah. roving ambassador. Yeah, he's sort of, yeah, ambassador at large. Yeah. Um, and the Thomas Blake Glover Bank of Scotland, um, which sold them the Union warship in 1865, uh, ironclad warship in 1865. But the, essentially, this is it, what what's interesting about this is that this is all happening quite a long time before Tokugawa Yoshinobu started asking the French and asking you know, his pref- his preferred partners were Napoleon III um, for just just for. I think his victory in the Crimean War, I think, mm. was one of the main influences um, for for help. Um, and then, so to, I mean, so so European powers were in on both sides. The French helped the Shogun uh, build the first uh, modern Japanese shipyard in uh, Yokosuka, and also supplied weapons and um, artillery pieces, uh, you know, um, handguns and artillery pieces. But um, just just as far as I can see, the sort of inferior inferior quality yeah. pieces as well. Um, I think also maybe yeah. key is the fact that the British have got in first that so the Japanese troops are actually using them. Have yeah. had longer to actually learn how to use them to properly. train. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and as you were saying, as you were 
as you were saying as well, um, it's almost as if the world is becoming a large chessboard for mm. European powers to play yeah. on. And it links back to what we were saying at the very yeah. start with you know, how Europe, you, you, the great powers are always looking for a way to circumvent each other yeah. and gain that little bit of extra ground yeah. for later on down, down, the, down the path. So yeah. even when there's a regime in place, they're looking at exactly how they can either use that regime to their own advantage or supplant it with another one, yeah. Yeah. which will be more friendly to them. Exactly, yeah. Which is almost exactly what's happening here, actually, isn't it? Mm. Um, well, it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so... Um, and so, yeah, as yeah. this is going on, obviously, we've got the Europeans involved at the very beginning. Yeah. And then in March 1868, yeah. so just two months after the first battle, yeah. um, Harry Smith Parks, as we mentioned, the, yeah. the roving British ambassador, yeah. brings them all together. The and roving Greeks. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Basically brings them all together and then they agree amongst themselves to be neutral yeah. um, and not to provide any more assistance to either side. Yeah. Um, which I think probably suited the British quite a lot because they'd already yeah. got in with their exactly, equipment yeah. and their training. So they were pretty confident that their side would win. Yeah. Um, but then, but then, um, I, you know, I think I think in the end of the front, the sort of French troops broke the rules anyway. They did, yeah. Resigned they, yeah. from the French Navy, uh, army, and uh, they moved. Yeah, they moved all the way. They were there to the end yeah. with the with the shogunate. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, I think the the war is quite is, is quite simple, simple to explain in yeah. that from the very start, the shogunate was on the back foot, and they conti- that continued. They yeah. were basically, if you look at the map of Japan, it starts I mean, it starts from. The yeah, around tip, yeah. the southern tip, so and they're they're forced back up the country, all yeah. the way up the country to. The north into the north, um, and this is again, it's a combination of mainly just better training, better equipment on the imperial side, mm. and potentially you know more of a cause for them to fight for. You yeah, because they're backing as with each victory, their prestige grows, and yeah. they, the the more more people defect to their side, yeah. and it becomes yeah. sort of like a a, a snowball rolling down a hill, and that it grows and grows. Whereas, yeah, the shogunate don't really have that. Yeah, I think also that they have the sort of um, they have the advantage of being both. It's it's a it's a weird. Um, Almost double think in George Orwell speak um, mm. of they are both backing tradition, traditional Japan in the in the form of the emperor, but they're also backing modern Japan yeah. in the sense that they are a modernized army and using modernized tactics. Mm-hmm. So sort of like you know, you know, we can we can sort of cover all bases on, yeah. on the imperial side. And there's a there's an interesting thing in the, the resistance to the imperial side wasn't only limited to just a, like a Tokugawa figurehead, which mm. I find quite interesting. Towards the end of the like when the Tokugawa were, and shogunate forces were being yeah. kind of like routed. suppressed and routed. <laughs> the this group called the Northern Coalition appeared, yeah. uh, which was a group of, as you probably expect, Northern clans yeah. that banded together yeah. um, under the figurehead of a kind of. He was, I think, someone described as a secondary imperial prince who right. fled to the capital along with Tokugawa forces, and they kind of set him up as a rival emperor. Yeah, um, the anti-emperor. Yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah, kind of <laughs> as you know, about the different popes, yeah. he's another emperor yeah. kind of thing. And but again, they ran into the same problems. They never actually matched imperial forces for yeah. technology, so they they had they um had improvised wooden cannons, um, yeah, which, saw, which saw, blew up after about <laughs> you know, after a handful of shots. They just exploded and they were just useless. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean that's yeah, very old school. Yeah. I think, although to be fair, I think wooden cannons actually they were used in Europe until quite late. I mean, I think in the Franco-Prussian War. Well, maybe 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 I'm, maybe I'm mistaken about this. We'll have to check. But um, yeah, the, the reason why the Prussians won because they just used they had these steel cannons. Really? Maybe, they, maybe the French were iron cannons. Yeah, 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 anyway, yeah. Behind, you'd Wood, thought, they wouldn't have thought yeah. they'd be using wooden ones. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But yeah, either way, it's the same thing. I mean, better technology yeah. in yeah. war usually results yeah. in results. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I mean, the shogunate, shogunate forces pushed out. Northern coalition rises and very quickly falls. Yeah. Um, and but the only bit really. Be, the only bit that really survives of the shogunate mm. is their navy, which has been withdrawing north, and the 
Imperial, from, Imperial Navy never actually manages to catch it. Yeah. Um, and so when they're at the very top tip of, of mm. Japan, mm. the Navy evacuates the remaining Shogun and remaining Northern Coalition forces, mm. along with, as you said, yeah. a group of French military advisors who yeah. basically, they resigned their commissions and fought on with the, with the Shogun to the bitter yeah. end, basically. And they, yeah. they took them all off um, to this island at the very north, island off the northern tip of Japan, it's called yeah. Ezo. 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 Ezo, yeah, yeah. Do you want to say a bit about what happened there? Well, uh, they declared it the Republic of Ezo, and I think actually they weren't. You know, it was almost like you know, it's a bit like Taiwan, where they're sort of like yes, that's exactly. We, what we, we, we stop, you know, okay, we, we you know, we give in. Like, can you just give us this island, yeah. and we'll just sort Please. of run our own, <laughs> yeah. run our own nation, basically. Yeah. Um, so they had a universal suffrage for the samurai, yeah. um, <laughs> um, which uh, meant you know, votes votes for everyone who have. Uh, who was of the right sort? Yeah, exactly. Of the right sort. Um, Although we probably should say that this is the first sort of appearance of a, any sort of democracy in Japan. Which yeah, is quite interesting in itself. It's not like a fully fledged version of yeah. it, but you know, they it was in a country that mainly been like uh, it mainly finance leaders through military power or yeah. um, succession and like hereditary succession. This yeah, is the first time yeah. they've actually elected some sort of head of state. Yeah, he was deemed a president. Who is Enomoto uh, Taki Takiki. Yeah. Um, who was the who was the former admiral of the navy? Yeah. Who was then elected as the president? They yes. kind of looked at the American system and elected him along that. Yeah. Um, Very nice. But yeah, sorry. Oh my God. No, sorry. Uh, but then um, obviously um, the the, uh, the imperial forces couldn't stand for this, so they went over and destroyed them. Yeah, they did. Um, they oh, interesting though. Uh, Enomoto, who was uh, admiral then president, mm. was spared by that by them, and they just took him prisoner. He was imprisoned. And then later he was released and held a number of positions in the imperial government. So yes, he actually went on to be quite successful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Although, although uh, yeah, it's it's funny. Um, yeah, go on. What were you going to say? You going to say? No, so, I'm now? saying this is like, and this is the very last, basically, action of yeah of the, the last Russian action war, of the well, the last is, scene, I suppose. Yeah, most, yeah, the crushing of the of the Eto Republic. Yeah. and it's interesting because I mean the war was very very quick. It's yeah. January 1868 when the Allies seize the imperial palace and the first battle takes place. And it's June 1869 yeah. that the war ends and Enomoto surrenders. So, I mean, that's a year and a bit. Yeah. That's a year and, you know, year and a half, let's say. Yeah. The war's happened. And, you know, from the very start, it's basically almost a foregone conclusion. Yeah. In what happens. Indeed. What happens. Well, like, like you said, the technological disparity sort of made it that, they made it that way, didn't they? Yeah. And then, and then, um, they moved, they moved the, they moved the emperor, the seat of the emperor from Kyoto to Edo. Yeah. Renamed it Tokyo because Twist. everyone knows the, the emperor can't live in a, in a city that doesn't have the K-Y-O yeah. sort of semblance of letters in it. Um, and, uh, and then the samurai were abolished, mm-hmm. which is slightly ironic considering, <laughs> considering, uh, considering that they were supposed to be, you know, it was supposed to be all about tradition and exploring the barbarians and, uh. The yeah, glory of the is, samurai. Yeah. This is like, as you said, as we said at the start, the birth of modern Japan. Yeah. Like, um, do you want to talk a little bit about how, how, how happened. what happened to power, kind of thing? After well, from from this state of feudal lords, what it's happened? Sen- to well, then? yeah, obviously in the, in the feudal in the feudal system, uh, the the power is sort of distributed among whoever has, um, well, people who are loyal to them, basically. Yeah, yeah, lo- yeah land, I suppose. Yeah, um, and uh, knights and whatever, as you might see in the in the, in the European context. Um, but in, in this case, the, these feudal holdings were abolished, uh, and uh, the emperor basically was considered in charge of all the land. Yeah, I thought it was quite interesting how they did it. Yeah. So they the Tokugawa lands were confiscated, and the emperor yeah. took them, and then subdivided them to ministry of areas yeah. with governors that he appointed. Yeah. And then on the other side, the Choshu and the Satsuma yeah. voluntarily ceded their land to him, yeah. which basically was a site similar to everyone else 
do the same to thing or so kind of the kind of thing. Yeah. The, um, and the I think the choice of the were leaders because they sat they ceded their land. They their leaders were permitted to become governors yeah. of the of the regions yeah. and keep a percentage of the tax returns. Yeah. So yeah. although know, they didn't, I mean, this is the interesting point. And obviously, again, the power element is that they they in the modern sense they don't keep their army. No, the army goes to the to the center, goes to the emperor. Yeah, the army because yeah they have a conscript army now as well mm-hmm. actually. That's one of the interesting points. They do. Um, yeah. But I think Sorry. it's just a thing that it's, it's an interesting way of doing it in that, you know, there was the character, basically it was a character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Suit, like, yeah, yeah. You can voluntarily Pledge do your loyalty. Like by yeah, and we'll your... it back. Yeah. Um, or we'll basically take your land from you and you yeah. do nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Um, Classic. We mentioned Bismarck a little bit at the start. Yeah. Do you want to, because uh, he has like, an, Bismarck, an yeah. interesting role well, to play in this, doesn't he? Yeah, in, in many ways you can kind of see, um, you know, Basically, Japan was sort of sought the advice of Bismarck mm. in how they should build their build their new, their new nation because, uh, although this is slightly 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 weirdly because this actually happened before Bismarck had formed his own nation. Yeah, in 1871, uh, German Empire was formed. But anyway, um, the um, and his and his advice was uh, you know um, it was it was a um, go, he, what was the exact phrase they used? So basically, the phrase that they came up with is so instead of. Uh, revere the emperor, expel the barbarians, yeah. which was the first one. <laughs> yeah, it kind of it then metamorphized into enrich the state, strength enrich the state, strengthen the military. Yeah, and this was done on Bismarck's advice because he said, for a, basically a successful modern state, hmm. you need to have um, a strong strong economic power hmm. and a military strength and a good and a strong sense of nationalism. Yeah, which were then like fused Pervade together through the country. Yeah. Was, and, and actually, they, they instituted a top down public education system. They did, yes. to enforce yeah. this. Yeah, um, yeah, so yeah, so it's um, oh yeah, actually they have. So they came up with this five-point plan that I found. Oh, really? Yeah. Go on. Um, so an active role for the state in development of the economy. Of course. Um, they, um, they, <laughs> the, the, yeah, sorry. So they, um, they then they focus on building their own industries up to compete with foreign imports. Mm. Um, they adopted Western technology, but on their own lines, they, they didn't want to be flooded with it. They wanted to take it where they could use it yeah. and learn how to use it. And then they developed their own exports around crafts, tea, silk, um, and like building them up, so mm. they had that sort of stream coming in, and they yeah. they had a very strong sense of avoiding foreign loans, so they didn't want to become beholden to yeah. to Western pounds again. Yeah. So there were the five like points to their uh, enrich the state, strengthen the military, yeah, slow, uh, like approach to yeah. building yeah. Japan. Massive. You mentioned the samurai. Do you want to quickly mention? Yeah. Them? Well, the, the samurai obviously were a bit, bit, bit pissed off because they'd been abolished. <laughs> yeah. been legally <laughs> abolished. And um, obviously, for, for a lot of them, this was the whole point of the war was, well, as, again, we were, they, were, they were holding the two, you know, whoever was in charge were in a classic sort of politician's way, holding the two, um, the two poles of modernism and uh, modernization and tradition mm. it, at the same time. Uh, then sort of dropped the tradition yeah. element. Um, and uh, so all the, the samurai were really pissed off, rebelled, uh, led by the the leader of the Satsuma clan, funnily enough, uh, Saigo Takamori, um, who was uh, you know, resigned from the government when uh, he wasn't able to carry through his own personal idea of invading Korea with the, with the samurai. Um, yeah, I know, exactly why not. But, um, uh, yeah, and um, I, think, I think there was a sort of a miniature rebellion again in Satsuma. Um, yeah, there was which a, was a just absolutely steamrolled yeah. by the conscript army. Yeah. Basically, yeah, they just send everyone. Doesn't matter. It just doesn't. It's just irrelevant. Just sending every 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 man, woman, and, well, not man, woman, child. All the men basically yeah. were sent to uh, 
It was just crush the rebellion. I think yeah. they learned from the the Tokugawa's bungled attempt to crush the Choshu yeah. earlier on, which is you know if we don't crush this now immediately, like yeah. completely, then we don't yeah. know. Like, this is this is like the first test or like a big yeah. test of our you know ability. So yeah. we need to crush it uh, yeah. and do it properly. So uh, so yeah, that's so so ended so ended uh, old sort Japan. of old Japan, and so was born the the Empire of Japan, mm-hmm. the new Empire yeah. of Japan, the new uh, modern Empire of Japan. And as we said within, within you know, at this point, um, we're at the very end of the 1860s, yeah. in the 18, through the 1870s, uh, 80s and 90s, they're building mm-hmm. up, and by the, the start of the 20th century, they're able to humiliate yeah. one of the great powers, which is Russia, yeah. Uh, yeah. and totally humiliate them in the Russo-Japanese War. So, yeah. I mean, it's a very, you know, obviously it works, the the, yeah. um, the modernisation of Japan, and it's very effective. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it did achieve its objectives yeah. in the sense that they, uh, well, they created a... <laughs> A nation intent on sacrificing themselves for the emperor, essentially. Yeah, but, but they, anyway, could, yeah. they could actually compete. Yeah, well, stage now. So yeah, like, yeah. So um, do you want to um, further read? Yeah, well, I, I would recommend feature history on YouTube. Mm-hmm. They have an exceptional, absolutely exceptional um, video on the Meiji Restoration. Uh, the Emperor Meiji, obviously, we haven't really called it that during this episode, have we? But no. this, this is the Meiji Restoration. Yeah, the end of it is the Meiji. Yeah, um, and. Um, you know, it's just, it's so, uh, you know, it summarises it exceptionally well. You know, there's the graphics and there's all the, all the names are there. Um, so if you need, if you need a quick overview, mm. well, I mean, obviously you've listened to this episode, so maybe it's a bit late. <laughs> you've had that. to suffer through this. Yeah, so, but, 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 but that, that might be a good reminder and it's quite good to get, get, you know, all the different parts in order. But, um, yeah, I think you had something slightly more interesting. Yeah, so I, I, I got, I'd join on that on that one with the video. There's a couple of good videos yeah. on YouTube, yeah. actually. I think that's where mainly the sources are. There's very few yeah. books or yeah, yeah, yeah. I articles that, about it. Yeah. Sort of very much in, in English, that yeah. is. So, I mean, I think YouTube and the videos that are on there are probably your best source for yeah. this one. There's almost, I find it astonishing, almost no mm. sources in English. Almost yeah. none. It is bizarre, but I think it may be that, that fact of they, they, you know, it's probably quite hard to get a book commissioned on this subject because they you know they there's only a limited british or western involvement in it so yeah to a western audience perhaps you know yeah. publishers won't see that maybe yeah um, but it's fascinating but it is a fascinating oh, point yeah. yeah but yeah um so yeah i think youtube for it but um, if you're looking for something more entertaining yeah there's a, a excellent film with tom cruise in called last samurai <laughs> which uh is really really good i really enjoy it yeah. and um you know, it borrows elements of it's not like a historically accurate approach it borrows elements of the Boshin War, elements mm. of the samurai uprising we, we spoke about just at the end there, mm. and sort of fuses them together with this character, Tom Cruise, who's a Western military advisor who comes to Japan to help the modernisation of the state, but then yeah. begins to see that actually the samurai have some pretty good ideas of their own, and then, yeah. you know, then I won't give away the story, but it's very good, so I'd seek that out and watch it. No, given, given the historical context, presumably it all goes pear-shaped, but yeah. 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 Fantastic. Well, uh, that wraps up. That wraps. Up, I think that also wraps up our series on um, yeah, the Asia. Yeah. Um, so join us for the next episode, which is going to be on. It's going to be on. Well, the... we'll keep it a secret. Oh, okay, fair enough. Should we keep it a secret? Yeah, I think we'll keep it a secret. Yeah, yeah. But it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. We will. Yeah, we will. We will be leaving. Unfortunately, we're leaving uh, the east behind for a while. Um, but uh, hopefully, it'll be just as just as um, just as exciting. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Footnotes of History. For more episodes, visit footnotesofhistory.com. And while you're there, why not sign up to become a historical legionnaire, where you have access to our blog, one-page cheat sheet downloads, film and book reviews, and up-to-the-minute updates on every episode release. Thanks for listening.